lives, you can't honestly say that you love all of them equally. And the same thing goes for our scholars. While I love all of them dearly, I have to admit that there is one in particular who has a special place in the mind and the heart of Professor Black Truth. We all have our own favorite grandmaster teacher, someone who we hold in esteem as being our own personal patron saint of scholarship. Dr. John Henry Clark is mine. Now, strictly in terms of outward appearance, Dr. Clark wouldn't have seemed to be anything extraordinary. You could pass him by on the street and he would have been just any other man. Average height, average build. But when it came to his mind, there was absolutely nothing average or ordinary about that. There were already billions of people on the earth by the time Dr. Clark began his scholarship. And yet there was only one Dr. John Henry Clark. If Frederick Douglass was the greatest socio-political mind that black people had produced in the 19th century, I would say that Dr. John Henry Clark was unquestionably the greatest that we produced in the 20th. It was over 20 years ago that Dr. John Henry Clark's best friend and lifelong colleague, Dr. Ben, had said, do not ask for a holiday. Do not ask for a day. You take a day. I say that because a lot of black folks got jolly in the behind because an old, unreconstructed racist from Delaware, Joe Biden, said, I could sure use another day off. Uh, how about Juneteenth? When you see the Republicans and Democrats agree on something, that lets you know they ain't up to no good. They don't do us any favors with a holiday. We could take a day if black people were of such a mind. And that's the even greater challenge that Dr. Clark kept pointing out. <laughs> We can accomplish whatever we as a group set our minds to. There is no question that we require power. The only question is, when are we going to mature politically to the point where we decide that we are going to take that power and we're also going to take on the responsibilities that power demands? There was a time when we were on the road to doing that. In the late 19th century, run again. the black wall streets were rising. That was the reason why they had to wipe it out. A number of genocides took place across the country. They had to literally beat and murder that. They had to beat it out of us, had to murder the people who were doing it. And that racial memory has remained with us. Got a lot of black folks who are trying to remain in a perpetual adolescence. But the problem here is not arrested socio-political development. The problem happens to be fear. Because we understand inherently, because we have been conditioned and it has been beaten into us, into our memory, that if black folks decide they're going to start taking on the reins of power, if we decide that we have the nerve to, as Dr. John Henry Clark put it, sit down at the international table of power and start to deal, if that happens, well, these white supremacists are not going to like that. and They're going to show up looking for a fight because they did it before. See, they didn't need to do it a thousand times to us. They only need to do it once. And there are a lot of black folks who were looking for an excuse to go back to the plantations in one form or another. And they said, okay, that's it. We're not, don't cause mass and no more trouble. Well, Dr. Clark was all about that trouble. He was all about making sure that we didn't forget. Although Dr. Clark did not espouse any particular faith, he did strongly espouse spirituality. And like an old preacher, who had the guts to convict an unruly group of parishioners of their sins, Dr. John Henry Clark let his people know that we had transgressed against ourselves, transgressed against the sacrifice of our ancestors, and we were transgressing against generations not even born. By not doing our part to attack white supremacy today, we are condemning our children and grandchildren to have to fight our battles tomorrow 
and no group of people is worthy of respect unless they ensure their legacy, and that starts with their children. Dr. Clark taught us how stupid it was to chase the putrid delusion of alliances. We have no friends, he told us. Over and over again, he repeated it for decades. He also taught that we have something better than friends. We have family. And when you relearn to start turning to your family for what you need, and when they relearn that they have an obligation to help one another, then we'll all realize that we do not need friends. And then we'll stop seeing so many black people running around desperately representing everyone else's interests in the pitiful hope that maybe we can get some sympathy from them to represent ours. Dr. John Henry Clark taught us that we don't have to learn to do what to empower ourselves. What we need to do is to remember what we've already done. January 1st is an important date to me, but not because of any arbitrary date on the Gregorian calendar. January 1st is not New Year's Day, not to me it isn't. It's Dr. John Henry Clark Day. The same way December 31st is Dr. Ben Day. The same way January 15th is the real Dr. Martin Luther King Day because that's when he was actually born. May 19th is Malcolm X Day. I'm sure we can all think of a number of dates of our favorite black scholars and teachers and heroes and sheroes. By remembering our icons, we remind everyone of what they did and that they are still alive in us. We only venerate and honor those who honored us. If their works were not dedicated to empowering us, we ignore them. They can lead the biggest parade they want down Fifth Avenue, Pennsylvania Avenue, and Michigan Avenue combined. They can have Columbus Day and St. Patrick's Day on the same day and bring out everyone they can to be in that parade. So what? I'll never be part of it. The first step to freedom is to think for yourself and not follow the crowd. That's how Dr. John Henry Clark lived his life. He was repping black empowerment before it was cool. He was doing it before there was an internet. He did it the hard way. In the streets, in the churches, in the community centers, wherever he could. He went to people taking the books, taking his lectures. He did it the hard way. And we must honor him. A student should want to honor his teacher. And the best way to do that is to take what the teacher taught them and run with it. For all he's done, for all he's inspired, Dr. Clark deserves no less. I don't really do these year in review things, but in this case, I feel like it's appropriate. What year is it? 2022, right? Wrong. It's still 1865 because our condition hasn't changed one iota since then, and it is the condition of a people that defines what time it is. So long as we remain in the oppressed condition we were in at the end of chattel slavery, the hands <coughs> on the clock haven't moved one iota. They haven't budged an inch. And that is the struggle before us, to get the hands of progress moving again, to force them to move. But as Dr. John Henry Clark taught, before you can see where you're going, you first need to take a look back and see where you've been. And looking back, what I see is that January 1st, 2021, started off with Biden confirming that he was going to compromise on all those empty promises he made to black people. Well, as Frederick Douglass said, as with all compromises, it defeated itself. Call Biden's backtracking a lot of things, but don't call it a surprise. The black media told everyone this is exactly what he was going to do. And all of those Biden cheerleaders have been laying real low. 
But with Biden, there was never any intention to do anything for black people. The Biden butt kissers and these professional bootlicks on cable and these white-funded phony black organizations, they all knew what the get-down was. But they thought they'd gotten away with something, and black people would eventually forget because we always do. But who wasn't forgetting was all of those white supremacists who had been storming state capitals across the country in 2020. Like in Michigan, those gun-toting racists, rather than being rounded up or neutralized where they stood, instead the authorities let them march into the state capitol building with assault rifles, scream at the cops. It was a dress rehearsal for the January 6th insurrection. They had even launched a plot to kidnap the governor, Gretchen Whitmer, and they were going to allegedly hold a mock trial and have her executed. So in 2020, you had some gun-toting thugs who called themselves storming the capital of their respective state, and they also had a plan to kidnap a high-ranking government official and to have them executed. Sounds a lot like hang Mike Pence, now doesn't it? So it doesn't matter if it's mask mandates or if they're complaining about an election that they lost, it seems these white supremacists never have a reason that's too flimsy or too inconsequential for them to storm the Capitol, because that's what it's really about has nothing to do with COVID and has nothing to do with any elections. It's all about white supremacy showing where bums rushing the door. And I had said for months that because white politicians in both parties refused to punish these white supremacists, that this would embolden them. These morons imagine themselves to be some sort of martyrs, but even the most fanatical martyr loses their faith if the authorities crack down on them hard enough, take everything away from them and punish their pals. A movement can be crushed if the government makes it their mission to go to war with Black people ought to know that's what white supremacy did against us here. But the need to maintain white solidarity is the foundation of white supremacy, and both the major parties subscribe to it and are dedicated to upholding it. So even under the threat of death, the Democrats are frozen with indecision. How do you punish violent white thugs with guns when you're depending on violent white thugs with guns to uphold white supremacy for you to be your street soldiers? The reason that the raging mob at the Capitol on January 6th felt so emboldened was for the same reason that the gun-toting vigilantes in Lansing felt so emboldened a year earlier. Because they know that half of the government happens to be a bunch of raging white supremacists, and the other half of the government are a bunch of complacent, empty suits. Controlled opposition is no opposition at all. In Michigan, their attorney general, who's a Democrat, did not and hasn't done anything about the gun-toting mob that stormed the Capitol in Lansing. And, of course, Joe Biden's own Attorney General Merrick Garland has done practically nothing about the January 6th insurrectionists. Slaps on the wrist is about the only thing that's going down. And why is that? It's because they're caught on the horns of a dilemma. They're the administrative arm of white supremacy. The administrative arm is the white corporate class and the government, because they're flip sides of the same coin. Their job is to steal resources to maintain white supremacy and to create and promote policies meant to perpetuate white supremacy. But what happens when some of their attack dogs get off their leash or start snapping at them? What happens is that these Democrats don't know what to do because they've got one eye on the white supremacists pointing guns at them and they've got their other eye on the black people who it's their job to control. After decades of refusing to discuss the issue and pretending as if they didn't know anything, the white media was confronted with the undeniable evidence that law enforcement are indeed a bunch of anti-black insurrectionists. And you had a number of former and active duty police who were part of the mob that stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. You also had a number <coughs> of military personnel as well. 
You want to know why? It's because the police and the military together, they are the enforcement arm of white supremacy. The police are responsible for controlling black people domestically, and the military is responsible for taking what white supremacy wants internationally, though these days they've been spending a lot of their time helping the thugs in blue to try to control black people. But there's also another side to that equation. You've got the regular forces of white supremacy and the irregular forces of white supremacy. Now, the regular forces of white supremacy, these are the white supremacists who wear uniforms. The irregular forces are the white supremacists who don't. And the Proud Boys, the Dillon okay. the 4chan terrorists who attacked BLM in Minnesota, the Kyle Rittenhouses, they work closely with the police. And in the cases of Rittenhouse and Proud Boys, they've been trained by the police and work in coordination with them. In every single case where some white supremacist gunman has been shooting at black people or at white people who advocate on black people's behalf, we see that these terrorists have been working very closely with the police. That's because they're not merely operating with the approval of the police, they're operating at the police's request. The irregular forces do the dirty work that the cops don't want to be seen doing. Democrats, they can't afford to punish these white supremacist militias any more than they can afford to punish the violent racist cops. They need these violent racist gunmen if they're going to control us. And they need these racist gunmen to kill black people without hesitation. You start prosecuting these guys on a regular basis, start prosecuting them aggressively in numbers, and, well, they're going to start getting real hesitant. And white supremacy is based on the guarantee of violence to ensure its control. There can't be any doubt in the minds of black people that there's going to be violence behind those white supremacist edicts. So the relative inaction that you've seen from Joe Biden's Injustice Department, it mirrors exactly the inaction that you also saw a year and a half ago from Gretchen Whitmer's Democratic administration in Michigan. By the way, on a side note, just a few days after the Capitol insurrection, the Republican-controlled Michigan legislature voted unanimously to ban all open carry firearms from the state capitol. February 2021, Kyle Rittenhouse violates the terms of his bail by moving out of his apartment without notifying the authorities where he was going to. The judge, showing that he was blatantly biased for Rittenhouse, refused to enforce his own bail saying that he would not disclose Rittenhouse's whereabouts to the DA because the judge didn't want more violence in Kenosha. The DA pointed out that no court in Kenosha had ever withheld the location of a defendant from the DA's office before. The judge said that the sheriffs, you remember them, the guys who were giving Rittenhouse a thumbs up after he gunned down two unarmed people, the judge said that the sheriffs would be allowed to know his location, but that the DA didn't need to know. When the DA advised the judge that Rittenhouse doesn't live in Kenosha, so the sheriff doesn't have jurisdiction, the judge cut the DA off in mid-sentence and ended the hearing. This judge wore his bias like a badge of honor. Over nine months before the verdict, I was telling you then that the judge would be the biggest problem in this trial, and he was. Tariq has often said that April is something of a holy month to the white supremacists. It's a month where they really like to act up and 2021 was no exception. In early April, then New York Governor Andrew Cuomo signed off on giving illegal aliens in that state $2 billion of the taxpayers' money. And speaking of governmental overreach, black people were subjected to an orgy of hate crimes charges being brought, but only against black people. This was the police and the prosecutors calling themselves fighting back against the pressure that we put on the bastards. 
they made it clear that we could force them to put charges on the A.B. Coopers and on the corrupt oh, cops and the other races, but they weren't bringing hate crimes charges against any them. of them. And just to show their contempt for the black community, they made it a point to show how easily they could bring hate crimes charges, but only against us. It was a racial political statement that they were making. Summer of 2020 saw uprisings on a national scale. Summer of 2021 was the summer of the pull-up. But pull-up season began early this year because on April 11th, Dante Wright was murdered by former officer and now convicted felon, Kim Potter, who thought she could get away with it if she just said that it was an accident, which has become the go-to lie used by killer cops now that I was afraid for my life is no longer viable. She committed this murder during the Derek Chauvin trial. That was deliberate. Brooklyn Center, which is where the murder of Wright took place, is only nine miles from Minneapolis, where Chauvin murdered George Floyd. And obviously, every cop in Minnesota was watching that trial. And every white racist cop in the state was furious with what they knew the inevitable outcome would be and the precedent that it would set. So make no mistake, the murder of Dante Wright, that was a racial message being sent to black people. A reprisal for us forcing our will on the system. In what was a clearly phony stage bit of acting, Kim Potter tried to act like she didn't know she'd drawn her gun instead of her taser. But the first words out of her mouth were, I'm going to jail. She was right. Due to public pressure, the authorities were forced to charge her, but the judge gave a pitifully low bail, which the murderer easily met. She tried to return to her house, but the public was already there. People are beginning to wake up to the reality of these white supremacists with badges. And they're starting to get realistic about what needs to be done. People are through protesting in front of City Hall. They know that doesn't work. The DAs are on the same side as the racists. They know that the prosecutors are never going to charge them unless the public forces them to. So the folks are going to the cops' houses now, which seems to be far more effective. They're putting the enemy on the run. Potter was forced to flee her house, just like Derek Chauvin was forced to flee his, and the corrupt DA in Minneapolis was. The city leaders in Brooklyn Center, however, still wanted to show their solidarity with the murderer Potter, so they took public funds to pay for a fence and two pork mobiles to be parked in front of her house. The summer of the pull-up had commenced two months early, and it wasn't over yet, because the very next day after the murder of Dante Wright, in South Carolina, a white supremacist skinhead in the military attacked a black pedestrian making threats and saying the black man didn't belong in his neighborhood. Well, the community pulled up, lay siege, and the racist pig Jonathan Pentland fled town. But we must understand, as evil and sick and pernicious as white supremacy is, it's not going to be beaten in a single battle. The DA, desperate to try to change the headlines, announced that there were going to be charges brought, but he made them pitifully low, third-degree assault, which is only a misdemeanor. And the DA didn't give Pentland that pitifully low charge because the crime didn't warrant stronger charges. The DA did it because of her white supremacy. If you're classified as white, the authorities understand they're not supposed to charge you with a felony. So the DA was making it clear he's on team white supremacy. Months later, the racist Pentland went on trial and was convicted, which is nothing. The judge gave the punk a choice between a $1,000 fine and 30 days in jail. The Army, which has a black defense secretary, is under Joe Biden, might I add, said that they were transferring Pentland and putting him on administrative duty and no, he won't be discharged. Now, a number of those insurrectionists who attacked the Capitol on January 6th were in the military. 
you would think that Joe <laughs> Biden's Department of Defense would be taking a hard line on this one, but instead they took no line at all. Well, Joe Biden's military sure handles racism a lot differently than Trump did, right? April 20th, just nine days after the murder of Dante Wright, Derek Chauvin was found guilty on all charges. It was no surprise the bastard was guilty as hell, but it was nice to see the white supremacists on the right fuming that this was tantamount to rewarding the rioters of 2020. When you've spent your entire life benefiting from injustice, justice feels like oppression. These white supremacists are moral perverts. And speaking of perverts, Jeffrey Watch My Webcam Tubin got his old job back at CNN a mere eight months after he'd been caught on video playing with himself. And you notice how that video still hasn't come to light yet? It just goes to show that the internet is not forever. And if these white supremacists want something to be buried, they can do it. June 2021, Joe Biden abandons all his phony promises to black people but he decided to give federal workers a day off, so Juneteenth was declared a national holiday. A day off is no substitute for our tangibles, family. Keep your federal holiday, Jim Crow Joe. We don't need or want the white government's approval. We only want what we're owed. The only people who were getting excited over this were black baby boomers, HBCU chuckleheads, and black government employees. July 2021, uh, as predicted, Bill Cosby's uh, illegal conviction was overturned on appeal. And also, as predicted, both white leftists and right wing nuts were angry about it. Neither one of them had any disagreement on this point. They both said, oh, Cosby, he's guilty of, well, something. They thought they could force Cosby to confess to a crime that he didn't commit, but he never did. And the courts were forced to let him go. Officer Eric Adams of the NYPD announces that he's going to be running for mayor of New York. Nobody knows who he is, but the white media loves him. The white establishment of New York City likes him, too. He didn't have a political platform of any sort, though he didn't need one. All he needed to do was be willing to say, but what about black on black crime? And to lecture black people that they need the police. He said nothing about punishing the police. He was clearly a Trojan horse candidate meant to reassert the old status quo and bring back the days of stop and frisk. Every photo of this clown, he's got his mouth open in that minstrel show slap happy look. It's easy to see why the white establishment likes him so much. They know a lap dog when they see one. By the way, did I mention that New York City is a Democrat-run city and Eric Adams is a Democrat? And that brings us to the sponsor of this broadcast, Power Tools. There's no telling when something's going to come up, so make sure you carry your power tools at all times. You never know when you're going to need to bring the hammer down, or when you'll have some trash that needs to be blown away, or some obstacle that requires cutting down. Don't get caught empty-handed. Keep your hammer close by. Keep that leaf blower at the ready. And always carry your steel. Power tools. Because no matter what your day job or side hustle may be, there's no excuse for not being ready to put in some work. In July, the Prime Minister of Haiti was assassinated in his own home. The killers didn't even have to shoot their way in or out. The presidential guards let them in and put up no resistance. The story the white media gave is that some guys in Haiti paid an American in Miami to hire a gang of Colombian hitmen to assassinate the Prime Minister of Haiti. Stop laughing. If the white media said it, you know it's got to be true. 
Rose McGowan, who had previously taken to hanging out with KRS-2, er, I mean, to work. Well, Rose has finally realized that the phone isn't ringing and it's not going to. So these days, she's auditioning for a new role, a born-again Karen. She was running around backing Larry Elder in his damn-to-failure PR stunt, pretending like he was going to run for governor of California. And how does she stoop so low? Well, it was because she's got nowhere else to go. Rose was riding high in the heady days following the Weinstein scandal. Well, actually, she wasn't riding high, though she did manage to actually get some interviews on TV. And considering that her Hollywood boyfriend director, Robert Rodriguez, hadn't been able to get her an acting gig in years, well, she was desperate to see if this would jumpstart her career. It didn't. Though for about one news cycle, there was some loose talk about her getting some work doing, well, something. But whatever it was, it clearly didn't happen. Not even a pet food commercial. So now she's the pitch woman for the right wing. The bootlick and the white supremacists both have something in common. The only job skill they have is supporting white supremacy. They can't reinvent themselves as something else because they can't do anything else. So they wind up becoming the picture of pathetic forced to desperately try to get themselves attention years after everyone else has long since moved on. They inevitably get reduced to endorsing tarot cards or timeshares or Larry Elders because that's all they can get. To them, as long as they're in front of the camera, they've convinced themselves that they haven't admitted defeat when they don't realize that at this point, nobody even cares. That's right. The Haitian migration had been underway for months before it blew up in the white media, but what most of them didn't mention was that the Haitians were only part of a larger migration caravan, mainly of Latin Americans. The country and the world saw the U.S. Border Patrol, white men on horseback, looking more like the slave patrols, and literally whipping the Haitian refugees with their horse bridles and chasing them around like runaway slaves. This was Joe Biden's Border Patrol doing this, now, if this had happened under Trump, we all know what the orange man's response to that would have been. He would have sent out Sean Spicer or Sarah Hillbilly, or I mean Huckabee, and they would say, the video's very serious and we're looking into it. Well, Trump wasn't in the White House. Joe, I've got the black communities back Biden was. These are his Border Patrol agents. He has the power to punish them. So we all knew Biden would personally make a statement condemning this atrocity and promising to punish the perpetrators, right? I mean, he certainly wouldn't hide behind his press secretary like Trump did and have his spokesperson give some empty statement that they were taking the matter seriously and they would look into it. So what did Joe Biden say about all this? Nothing. Instead, Biden sent out Jen Psaki, the white woman who got the job Simone Sanders wanted, and she said... It's very serious, and we're looking into it. Gee, things are a lot different under Biden, all right. And notice how there's no mass protests or uprisings. This was why it was important to get Biden elected, because now people who would have been in the streets raising hell are now sitting at home trying to console themselves with the feeble lie that, well, at least Biden doesn't say mean things like Trump does. People who last year would have been in the streets forcing change now they're sitting at home waiting to see if Biden's going to do something. They're going to be waiting a long time. October 2021, Dave Chappelle proved that he was the only black man in Hollywood who's got a spine. Well, actually, he's on Netflix, so he's not really in Hollywood, but he proved he was more relevant than all these bootlicking chumps in Tinseltown are. 
the racist in the LGBT movement try to make a distraction out of canceling Chappelle. Is what they always do. Whenever there's some white guy who's in the press getting some bad media attention, they go looking to see if they're a black man who they can drag for nothing. Oh, you said something 15 years ago. Well, we're going to drag you for it today because there's a white guy who we got to get the heat off of. But rather than bow down, Chappelle doubled down. He told the loudmouth malcontents that he wasn't bowing to them, that they would not summon him as if he was their servant, and he wasn't going to talk to them unless and until he decides to. They try to attack Chappelle, but there's nothing as irresistible as a black man standing up for himself, so the public sided with him. The screeching handful of Twitter twits tried to attack Netflix, but that only got them unemployed. Chappelle had said that he wouldn't do any more LGBT material until they could all laugh together. At last report, a couple of weeks later, he broke that promise, as he should. Dave Chappelle ridicules and lampoons everyone regardless of race, creed, color, or sexual orientation. To exclude only the LGBT community from his routines wouldn't be bending the knee necessarily, but it would certainly be bowing his head, which would have amounted to the same thing. Besides, the Twitter twits who were attacking him, they weren't laughing at his material before now, so no amount of self-censoring or attempts to make nice would work because this wasn't about his comedy material. It was about a gang of anti-black racists targeting him because it's always open season on black people. Well, this time, the target fired back, and he wasn't alone. The white media had been making the occasional report of unhappy rumblings in Kamala Harris's vice president's office. Well, in October of 2021, those sporadic rumblings became a steady drumbeat. The word dysfunction became synonymous with Kamala Harris's vice presidential office after reports of infighting and bickering by her staff came to the surface. The white media used to call Jim Crow Joe the human gap machine, but Kamala Harris swiped that crown when practically every interview she gave became an embarrassment or forced the White House to have to issue clarifications, which were basically retractions under a new name. They're actually going to be trying to rebrand okay. Stop and Frisk and see if the public accepts it this time. Well, whatever new name they try to give to it, it means that your black mayor and black police commissioner are going to be giving white supremacist thugs like Daniel Pantaleo their full support to frame, attack, and even murder black people. Remind me again how we need to vote the Democrat down ballot again. Republicans and Democrats are flip sides of the same coin. One openly and aggressively demanding anti-black policies, and the other side pretending as if they're helpless to stop any of this because they're She's controlled the opposition. If the Democrats aren't white-splaining and downplaying the Republicans with blatant racism, then they're giving an insincere tisk-tisk. But what they're not doing is going to the mat to demand policies advantageous to black people. That they're not doing. Their job is to make a few noises that sound like they're on their side and to see if we're fooled into believing it. And then we're supposed to sit on our hands uh, and wait to see if no, they do no, anything, no, which of course they never do. And in the yeah. case of Biden, he publicly declared that he wasn't going to do any of those empty promises that he made in 2020. The white media talks about Joe Manchin and how he lied to the Democrats and made promises that he never intended to keep. But none of them are pointing out how Biden has abandoned all the promises he made to black people when he was campaigning a year ago. That 
is the most underreported political story of 2021. That is, unless you get your news and views from the black media. 2022 is here, but the only thing that's changed is the date on the calendar. Our mission hasn't changed one iota. It's the same as it's always been. I look forward to every one of you being here with us as we continue to chronicle the defeat and demise of white supremacy and the resurrection and rise of black empowerment. Good night and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Fred Baker, be one to you, brother. George Montgomery, salute to 